The vessel Endeavour descends through the swirling clouds of the uncharted planet, its hull groaning against the alien atmosphere. Captain Marcus, a seasoned explorer with a sharp eye and a steady hand, monitors the landing sequence with unwavering focus. Beside him, Sadie, the mission's chief scientist, scans the surface readings with growing excitement. Look at these energy signatures, Marcus, Sadie says, pointing at the flickering display. They're unlike anything we've encountered before. Marcus nods, his eyes never leaving the controls. Let's hope they lead us to something worth the trip. The Endeavour touches down on a vast, barren landscape shrouded in a perpetual twilight. The team, a mix of scientists and security personnel, gathers in the briefing room. Among them are Tom, an enthusiastic biologist, Blake, a stoic security chief, and Julia, a linguist specialising in alien languages. Each member brims with a mix of anticipation and apprehension. Once outside, the team surveys the alien terrain. Rocky outcrops cast long shadows in the dim light, and a cold wind howls across the desolate surface. The planet feels ancient, holding secrets long forgotten. Their scanners lead them to a peculiar anomaly, a structure submerged beneath the planet's surface, its outline visible through a translucent expanse of what appears to be solidified air. The structure, angular and geometric, stands in stark contrast to the natural surroundings. This is it, Sadie says, her voice laced with awe. An entrance to something created, not born of this world. Marcus approaches the structure cautiously, his hand resting on the sidearm at his belt. The entrance, a smooth, seamless gateway, seems to beckon them forward. He exchanges a glance with his team, a silent agreement to proceed. As they approach the entrance, a faint hum resonates through the ground, growing louder with each step. The air around the gateway shimmers and with a sudden flash of light, the entrance activates, revealing a dark corridor stretching into the depths of the alien structure. Marcus steps forward, his voice echoing through the comms. All right, team, stay sharp and stick together. We don't know what we're walking into. One by one, the team members step through the gateway, their lights piercing the darkness ahead. They descend into the unknown, leaving the barren surface behind venturing into a world that has not seen visitors for eons. As the last of the light from the planet's surface fades away, the corridor envelops them in an otherworldly silence, broken only by the sound of their footsteps and the distant, mysterious echoes of the submerged alien structure. The exploration of this forgotten civilization has begun. The corridor inside the alien structure twists and turns, leading Captain Marcus and his team deeper into the heart of the unknown. The walls, smooth and metallic, seem to absorb their flashlight beams, creating an eerie ambience. As they advance, Sadie's handheld scanner beeps rhythmically, guiding them toward a significant energy source. They arrive in a vast chamber, its ceiling lost in shadow. Row upon row of cylindrical pods, each large enough to hold a person, fill the space. The pods are connected to a network of pulsating tubes and wires, a bizarre fusion of biology and technology. This looks like some kind of cryogenic prison, Tom whispers, his curiosity piqued. He approaches one of the pods, examining the strange symbols etched into its surface. 
His fingers brush against a protruding part of the pod, and without warning, the pod lights up, humming to life. Tom, step back, Marcus orders, but it's too late. The pod's lid begins to hiss open, revealing its occupant, a creature unlike anything they've ever seen. It's humanoid, but clearly alien, with pallid skin and intricate markings running down its arms. The creature stirs, its eyes fluttering open. They are deep, intelligent, and filled with an ancient weariness. The team instinctively raises their weapons, but the creature makes no aggressive move. It simply observes them, its gaze piercing and unafraid. Sadie steps forward, her scanner in hand. It's alive, and its vital signs are stabilizing, she reports, her voice a mix of scientific fascination and caution. Everyone, stay alert, Marcus commands, eyeing the creature warily. We don't know what this thing is capable of. Blake, the security chief, keeps his weapon trained on the creature, his expression unreadable behind his visor. Julia, meanwhile, watches the scene unfold with a mix of fear and intrigue, her mind already racing with questions about the creature's language and history. The rest of the pods remain dormant, but the awakening of this one alien being has shifted the atmosphere from one of exploration to one of tense uncertainty. The team stands ready, unsure of what the creature's awakening means for their mission and their safety. In the tense silence of the chamber, the creature in the pod slowly sits up, surveying its surroundings and the armed humans before it. There's a moment of stillness, like the calm before a storm, as both parties size each other up. Then, unexpectedly, the creature speaks. Its voice is melodic yet strange, resonating not only through the air but seemingly within the minds of the team members as well. Do not fear me, it says, its lips barely moving. I mean no harm. Captain Marcus lowers his weapon slightly, signalling the others to do the same, but remains cautious. Who are you? He asks, his voice steady. I am Zorax, the creature replies. I have been imprisoned here against my will. I am not your enemy. Sadie steps forward, her scientific curiosity overtaking her caution. Why were you imprisoned? What is this place? Zorax's eyes, reflecting a depth of wisdom and sorrow, shift to meet Sadie's. This prison holds those who oppose the rulers of my world. I was a voice for peace, a threat to their power. Tom, still by the pod, looks between Zorax and the other dormant creatures. Are they like you? Also imprisoned unjustly? Zorax nods. Many of us were. But some are indeed dangerous. I can guide you through this place help you understand its secrets. Julia, intrigued by the prospect of communication with an alien intelligence, steps forward. How can we trust you? She asks. Zorax's gaze meets each team member in turn. I seek freedom as any being would. In helping you navigate this prison, I hope to earn your trust and aid in my release. Captain Marcus considers Zorax's words, then turns to his team. We proceed with caution. Zorax, if you can guide us, we'll help you. But one false move, and this alliance ends. Zorax inclines its head in understanding. Agreed. The team, now with Zorax as their guide, 
prepares to delve deeper into the mysteries of the prison. Each member is acutely aware that this alliance is a gamble, but it's a chance they're willing to take to uncover the truth of this alien world and potentially secure a powerful ally. As they move out, the dynamic of the mission shifts. No longer are they merely explorers of a forgotten civilization. They have become participants in a story that spans the cosmos, with Zorax, the once-imprisoned alien, as their unexpected guide. Guided by Zorax, Captain Marcus and his team traverse the labyrinthine corridors of the alien structure. Zorax moves with purpose, its familiarity with the environment evident. They arrive at the entrance to another chamber, grander and more ominous than the first. The door, adorned with intricate carvings and glowing symbols, slides open silently at Zorax's approach. Inside, the chamber is vast, the ceiling arching high above. It's filled with rows of pods similar to those in the first chamber, but these are larger and more elaborate, pulsating with a menacing energy. Zorax pauses, its expression somber. This is the prison of the condemned, it explains. Those who were a threat not just to the rulers but to the worlds beyond. Be wary here. The team exchanges uneasy glances. Tom, eyeing the pods nervously, says, These creatures, are they more dangerous than you? Infinitely, Zorax replies solemnly. Some possess powers that can manipulate reality itself. Others, sheer brute force beyond understanding. Blake steps forward, his hand resting on his weapon. Captain, this could be too risky. We don't know what we're dealing with here. Sadie, her eyes wide with both fear and fascination, adds, But think of what we could learn. This is a unique opportunity. Julia looks at Zorax. Can you control them if they awaken? Zorax shakes its head. My abilities have limits. I cannot guarantee your safety should they be roused. Captain Marcus weighs the options. The risk is immense. Awakening these beings could be catastrophic. Yet the potential knowledge and understanding of alien civilizations and their technologies present an unparalleled opportunity for discovery. After a moment of contemplation, he makes his decision. We proceed, but with utmost caution. No one touches anything without my order. Zorax, you lead the way. Everyone else, stay alert. We're here to observe and learn, not to engage. The team, their resolve bolstered by Marcus's leadership, steps into the chamber. The air is thick with the unknown, each step taking them deeper into the heart of a prison, holding creatures of unimaginable power and danger. As they move among the pods, observing the dormant beings within, the line between explorer and intruder blurs. They are treading a delicate balance, aware that their presence in this alien domain could awaken forces beyond their control. In the second chamber, filled with the silent presence of dormant alien entities, Captain Marcus and his team navigate cautiously. The air is charged with a tense expectancy, as if the chamber itself is aware of their intrusion. As they proceed, Zorak suddenly halts, its gaze distant and focused. The creature's eyes glow faintly, and a subtle shift occurs in the atmosphere. Without warning, Zorak speaks, its voice taking on a resonant, commanding tone. 
I possess abilities beyond your understanding, Zorax announces. Among them is the power to influence thoughts, to guide actions. The team members exchange worried glances. Sadie asks, Are you controlling us now? Zorax shakes its head. No, but in this place, I must use all my abilities to ensure our safety. Trust that I do not wish to harm you. As they continue exploring, subtle changes begin to manifest within the team. Blake, the security chief, starts moving with a stiff, unnatural precision. His responses become short, his gaze distant. Tom, usually curious and talkative, grows silent, his eyes darting around suspiciously. Captain Marcus observes these changes with growing concern. Blake, Tom, report. Are you feeling all right? Blake's reply is curt, uncharacteristic of his usually composed demeanor. I'm fine, Captain, just focused on the mission. But Marcus isn't convinced. He notices similar oddities in a couple of other team members, slight but noticeable deviations in behavior. Julia, her intuition heightened by her linguistic skills, approaches Marcus quietly. Captain, I think Zorax is influencing them. Their behavior is too synchronized, too controlled. Marcus's expression hardens. Zorax, what are you doing to my team? Zorax looks at Marcus, its expression one of regret mixed with resolve. I assure you, Captain, my intention is not to betray your trust. In this chamber, the minds of your team are vulnerable to external influence. I am merely shielding them. Sadie steps in, her scientific curiosity piqued despite the situation. Shielding them or controlling them? Zorax's response is measured. Both. It is a necessary precaution in this environment. The revelation sets off alarm bells in Marcus's mind. Trust, already a fragile commodity in this alien environment, becomes even more tenuous. The realization that they might be under the subtle influence of Zorax, however well-intentioned, sows seeds of mistrust and fear among the team. As they stand amidst the slumbering alien horrors, the team is forced to confront a new threat, the possibility that they are not entirely in control of their own actions, and that the ally they have come to rely on might also be manipulating them from within. Amidst the growing tension and suspicion within the team, Julia, the linguist, begins to experience a strange phenomenon. As she observes Zorax interacting with the team, she starts hearing whispers in her mind, faint and ethereal, like echoes in a vast cavern. Initially, Julia dismisses these whispers as a product of the stress and the alien environment. However, as the whispers become clearer, she realizes they are not her own thoughts, but those of Zorax. She is developing a telepathic link with the alien. Intrigued and cautiously optimistic about this unexpected connection, Julia focuses her mind, trying to communicate with Zorax. The alien responds, its mental voice resonating within her consciousness. You are receptive, Julia. Zorax communicates telepathically. Your mind is open in a way your companions are not. Julia, her heart racing with a mix of fear and wonder, asks, Why me? What is happening? Zorax's mental voice carries a tone of sadness. In my world, telepathy is a gift, a way to connect beyond words. I sense this potential in you, 
Through our link, I wish to share the truth. As they move through the prison, Zorax reveals its history to Julia. She learns of Zorax's peaceful efforts on its home planet, its wrongful imprisonment by a fearful government, and the true nature of the prison. A place not only for confinement, but for silencing dissenting voices and experimenting on the unwilling. Julia is overwhelmed by the depth of Zorax's suffering and the gravity of the revelations. She begins to see Zorax not as a potential threat, but as a victim of grave injustice. Her sympathy for Zorax grows, creating a noticeable change in her demeanor. The rest of the team, already on edge due to the mind control incident, starts to view Julia's behavior with suspicion. Captain Marcus, observing the shift in Julia, confronts her. Julia, you've been distant. Is everything all right? Are you under Zorax's influence? Julia, torn between her newfound understanding and her loyalty to the team, hesitates. Captain, Zorax is not our enemy. There's more to this prison to its history. Zorax has suffered unjustly. This revelation only deepens the rift within the team. While some members are intrigued by Julia's insights, Others, including Blake, view them as a sign of betrayal. They question whether Julia's judgment has been compromised, whether her sympathy for Zorax is a result of manipulation rather than genuine understanding. As the team continues their journey through the alien prison, they are now divided not only by the external threats that lurk in the shadows, but by internal conflicts of trust and allegiance. The telepathic bond between Julia and Zorax becomes both a bridge to greater understanding and a wedge driving the team apart. As Captain Marcus's team, now fragmented by distrust and conflicting loyalties, ventures deeper into the alien prison, they find themselves in an area that starkly contrasts with the sterile corridors they have traversed so far. This new section is a veritable jungle, brimming with alien flora and fauna, a bewildering, self-contained ecosystem. The air is thick with the scents of strange plants and the sounds of unseen creatures echo through the dense foliage. Vines drape from above and bioluminescent fungi cast an eerie glow on their path. The environment is both mesmerizing and foreboding. Zorax, leading the way, explains, this section was designed to study interactions between species a living laboratory. Sadie, fascinated by this unexpected discovery, examines the plants and takes samples, her scientific curiosity momentarily overshadowing her apprehension. Tom assists her, equally intrigued by the alien botany. However, the marvel of discovery is soon overshadowed by the lurking dangers of this artificial jungle. Movement in the underbrush, fleeting shadows and distant unfamiliar calls serve as constant reminders of the potential threats surrounding them. Blake, increasingly wary, keeps his weapon ready, his eyes scanning the dense growth. Stay sharp, everyone. We're not alone here. As they progress, the team encounters various creatures, some resembling terrestrial insects, others utterly alien in their anatomy. Most are indifferent to the team's presence, but the sense of being watched never fades. Julia, her connection with Zorax deepening, receives a cautionary message. Beware the apex predators of this ecosystem. They are highly adapted hunters. Her warning comes just in time. 
From the foliage, a massive creature emerges, its body covered in chitinous armor, its eyes reflecting a predatory intelligence. It moves with a terrifying grace, clearly an apex predator in this environment. The team freezes, every member acutely aware of their vulnerability. Captain Marcus, assessing the situation, signals the team to slowly back away. But the creature is swift. It lunges forward, its maw opening to reveal rows of razor-sharp teeth. The team scrambles, their cohesion tested as each member reacts instinctively to the immediate threat. Blake fires his weapon, the sound deafening in the enclosed space. The creature recoils, but it's undeterred, its focus fixed on its prey, the intruders in its domain. Blake's shot only momentarily stalls the creature, its predatory focus unwavering, it lunges again with a ferocity that speaks of a primal hunger. Captain Marcus, recognizing the imminent danger, shouts, Fall back! We need a plan! In the chaos, Sadie quickly scans the environment. There! A narrow passage! She yells, pointing towards a slim opening in the rock face. It's too small for it to follow. The team, driven by survival instincts, dashes towards the passage. Zorax, understanding their strategy, aids their retreat, using its alien abilities to momentarily disorient the creature with a powerful, psychic burst. As they squeeze through the narrow passage, the creature attempts to follow, its massive form scraping against the rock. In a desperate act, Blake, the last in line, activates a small explosive device, collapsing the passage entrance and blocking the creature's pursuit. Panting and covered in dust, the team finds themselves in a safer area, momentarily free from the threat. Captain Marcus takes a moment to assess everyone's condition. Is everyone all right? He asks, his voice filled with concern. Sadie nods, her breathing still heavy. Yes, but that was too close. We can't let our guard down again. Zorax, looking back towards the blocked passage, speaks solemnly. This place, it tests us, in more ways than one. Blake checks his weapon, his expression grim. Next time we might not be so lucky. We need to stay sharp and stick together. In these frantic moments, the team's survival hinges on their ability to overcome their internal conflicts and work together against a common and deadly enemy. The Predator's attack forces them to momentarily set aside their differences, united by the primal need to survive in the unknown. After narrowly escaping the predatory creature, Captain Marcus and his team, their nerves frayed but unharmed, follow Zorax deeper into the alien ecosystem. The tension within the group is palpable, Exacerbated by the recent attack and the ongoing mistrust, they arrive at a secluded chamber, starkly different from the lush jungle they had just traversed. In the center of the room is a shimmering, pulsating rift that hovers above the ground. It emanates an otherworldly energy, casting bizarre, shifting patterns on the walls. Zorak stops, its gaze fixed on the rift. This is a dimensional gateway, it explains. It was used to transport beings and materials between worlds, but it is unstable. Sadie approaches the rift, her scientific fascination rekindled despite the risks. Unstable how? Could it get us back to our ship? Zorax nods slowly. Possibly, but the destination is unpredictable. The rift was damaged during my people's conflict. Using it could strand us in an unknown part of the universe, or worse. Tom... 
Peering into the swirling vortex adds, It's a gamble, but it might be our best chance to get out of here. Blake, ever cautious, shakes his head. Too risky. We don't have enough data, we should find another way. Julia, still telepathically linked with Zorax, senses its apprehension. Zorax doesn't think it's safe, there could be other ways to escape. The team stands divided, weighing the perilous option before them. The rift represents a potential shortcut to safety, but with unknown consequences. The alternative is to continue navigating the treacherous and labyrinthine prison, with no guarantee of finding another way out. Captain Marcus, considering both options, breaks the silence. We need to think this through. This rift could be our way home, or it could be a death sentence. We can't make this decision lightly. The team members exchange glances, each lost in their thoughts, pondering the gravity of their situation. The rift, with its mesmerizing, dangerous allure, stands as a beacon of both hope and doom, challenging them to make a choice that could seal their fate. After deciding against using the dimensional rift, Captain Marcus and his team, along with Kale, continue their exploration of the alien prison. The deeper they venture, the more they uncover about the civilization that built this enigmatic structure. They enter a chamber filled with holographic displays and alien script, far more sophisticated than anything they've encountered so far. The walls are lined with intricate carvings depicting scenes of life in an advanced society. Towering structures, flying vehicles, and beings similar to Kale in various activities of what appears to be daily life. Sadie, fascinated, examines the holograms, which react to her touch, bringing up images and more complex script. This is incredible, she exclaims. Their technology, their culture, it's beyond anything we've seen. Tom studies the carvings, pointing out scenes that suggest a society at the pinnacle of its power, but also hinting at internal strife. It looks like they were a civilization in conflict. Maybe that's what led to the creation of this prison. As they delve further into the data, piecing together fragments of information, a clearer picture begins to emerge. Kale, observing the team's discoveries, speaks up. This place was more than a prison. It was a hub for experimentation and research, part of a network of similar facilities across our world and others. The team absorbs this revelation. The prison was not just a place of confinement, but a nexus of a vast interstellar experiment conducted by an advanced civilization. The implications are staggering. Julia, still connected to Kale through their telepathic link, feels a wave of sadness from the alien. Kale, what kind of experiments? She asks. Kale's response is tinged with sorrow. Experiments on the mind, on the essence of what makes us sentient. They sought to control, to reshape consciousness itself. The team stands in the chamber, surrounded by echoes of a civilization that reached incredible heights, but was consumed by its own hubris. The realization that they are standing in a relic of an ancient, advanced but ultimately flawed society shifts their understanding of the prison and its true purpose. This discovery of the prison's connection to an experimental network of an ancient alien civilization not only deepens the mystery of their current predicament, but also broadens the scope of their mission. 
hinting at secrets that extend far beyond the walls of the prison and into the fabric of the universe itself. In the aftermath of their profound discovery about the ancient civilization, Captain Marcus's team, along with Kale, continues to navigate the labyrinthine prison. The air is heavy with a newfound understanding of the significance of their surroundings, but also with the urgency to find a way out. As they move through a particularly complex network of corridors, they come across a control room, its panels still active with alien symbols and interfaces. Curiosity gets the better of Tom, who begins to interact with the controls, hoping to find information that could aid their escape. However, his tampering has an unforeseen consequence. The room lights up with red warnings and a deep, ominous alarm begins to sound throughout the prison. A countdown appears on the screens, clearly indicating a self-destruct sequence has been initiated. Tom, what did you do? Sadie exclaims, panic rising in her voice. I... I don't know, I was just trying to access the navigation system. Tom stammers, his face pale with realisation. Kale, understanding the gravity of the situation, urges the team to move quickly. We must leave now. The prison will implode and its destruction will be catastrophic. The team, now in a frenetic rush, follows Kale, who leads them through the fastest route to the exit. However, the mounting tension exacerbates the existing rifts within the group. Blake, still harboring distrust towards Kale, argues, How do we know this isn't another manipulation? We're blindly following it right into a trap. Julia, trying to maintain her connection with Kale, responds, We don't have a choice. It's our best chance to get out. The alarms grow louder and the countdown continues relentlessly. The prison's corridors become a blur as they race through, dodging debris and navigating through collapsing pathways. In the midst of their desperate escape, the team is forced to confront not only the physical dangers of the crumbling prison, but also the internal conflicts that threaten to tear them apart. Trust, once a given among them, is now a luxury they can barely afford, yet it is essential for their survival. As they approach what they hope is the exit, the reality of their situation sets in. They are in a race against time, with the fate of each member hanging in the balance. The countdown to destruction looms over them, a ticking clock marking the thin line between life and death in the depths of an alien world. As Captain Marcus and his team, along with Kale, hasten towards what they hope is their exit from the alien prison, the environment around them begins to change in alarming ways. The walls of the corridors seem to shift and pulse, and the air is filled with an electric charge. Kale, leading the group, suddenly stops. Be cautious, it warns. The self-destruct sequence has activated psychic storms. They can distort perception and affect your minds. The warning comes too late. The team starts experiencing the effects of these psychic storms. Hallucinations warp their surroundings, transforming the corridors into nightmarish landscapes. Whispered voices echo around them, sowing seeds of doubt and fear. Sadie, gripping her head, cries out, I can't tell what's real anymore. The walls, they're moving. Tom, his eyes wide with terror, sees alien creatures emerging from the shadows, creatures that aren't really there. He swings wildly, shouting in panic. Captain Marcus, trying to maintain order, shouts over the commotion. 
Stay focused. It's not real. Keep moving. But the psychic onslaught is relentless. The team's progress slows as they struggle to discern reality from illusion. Trust erodes further as paranoia takes hold. Blake, his mind frayed by the psychic storm, becomes increasingly hostile, suspecting Kale and even his own teammates of treachery. Julia, despite her telepathic connection with Kale, is not immune. She sees flashes of her past, mixed with nightmarish visions, challenging her ability to stay grounded in the present. In the chaos, one of the team members, Alex, a technician, is hit hardest. His face contorts in terror as he succumbs to the full force of the psychic storm. He starts screaming about unseen horrors, his sanity slipping away. Alex! Alex, snap out of it! Marcus tries to reach him, but it's too late. Alex, lost in his hallucinations, bolts away, disappearing into the twisting corridors, his screams echoing behind him. The team is forced to move on, leaving Alex behind, a casualty of the prison's final, desperate defense. The remaining members, their mental resolve shaken, push forward, fighting against the unseen enemy within their minds as the countdown to destruction continues its relentless march. Battered by the psychic storms and the weight of their harrowing journey, Captain Marcus's team, with Kale at the lead, finally approaches what appears to be the exit of the alien prison. The countdown is nearing its end, and the structure trembles with the impending catastrophe. As they near the threshold of freedom, Kale halts, turning to face the team. Its expression is one of resolve, mixed with sorrow. I have not been entirely truthful with you, Kale begins, its voice heavy with emotion. The team tenses, bracing for a possible betrayal. Marcus steps forward, his hand on his weapon. What do you mean, Kale? Kale looks at each of them. My primary goal was not only to escape, but to liberate as many of my people as possible. This prison holds not just criminals, but innocents, voices of dissent, like myself. I cannot abandon them to their fate. The revelation strikes the team with a mix of understanding and frustration. Sadie, her face a mask of conflicted emotions, responds, You used us, Kale. We risked everything to help you. Kale nods, accepting the accusation. Yes, and for that, I am deeply sorry. But now at this final moment, I have a choice to make. The structure shakes violently, a reminder of the little time left. Kale continues, I have decided to stay behind. There is a chance, however slim, that I can release some of my people before the explosion. I cannot leave them to die here. Julia, her connection with Kale stronger than ever, understands the depth of Kale's decision. Kale, you'll never survive. Kale's eyes meet Julia's. Perhaps not, but this is my choice. My final act of defiance against those who built this prison. Blake, still distrustful, grunts, We need to go. Now. Captain Marcus, looking at Kale, then at his team, makes the call. We can't force Kale to leave. Our mission is to get out alive. Let's move. As the team crosses the threshold of the exit, leaving the trembling prison behind, Kale turns back, heading deeper into the facility. In these final moments, Kale's choice to stay and attempt to save others, even at the cost of its life, stands as a testament to its character 
and the complexity of the moral landscape they've navigated. The team escapes into the harsh light of the planet's surface, the prison's demise imminent. In their hearts, they carry the weight of Kale's sacrifice, a being who, in the end, chose the lives of others over its freedom. Exhausted emotionally and physically, Captain Marcus and his team emerge from the alien prison, gasping in the planet's harsh air. The ground shakes as the prison implodes behind them, a colossal burst of light marking its destruction. They are safe, but the ordeal has left its scars. As they make their way back to their ship, the Endeavour, a sense of disorientation overwhelms them. The landscape seems subtly different, more eroded, as if shaped by the passage of time rather than mere days. Marcus notices first, his experienced eye catching inconsistencies in the terrain. Upon reaching the site where they had landed, the team is greeted by an astonishing sight. The endeavor is encased in layers of dust and sand, its hull weathered and corroded, as if it had been sitting there for ages. Sadie, her scientific mind racing to make sense of the situation, runs a diagnostic on her handheld device. The readings. They're impossible, she mutters. According to this, we've been gone for centuries. The team is stunned into silence. The concept is unfathomable. That their time in the prison was but days to them, but centuries had passed outside. Blake, looking at the aged endeavor, says, This can't be. It's some kind of trick. A final deception from the prison. Julia, still feeling the echoes of her connection with Kale, suggests, the psychic storms, they must have distorted time around us. We were in a temporal bubble. Tom, grappling with the reality of their situation, adds, If centuries have passed, what are we going back to? Everything we knew is gone. The team grapples with this profound revelation. The world, their families, their entire civilization could be entirely different, evolved or devolved in unforeseen ways. Captain Marcus, ever the leader, steps forward. We can't change what's happened. Our mission now is to find out what's out there, what's become of our world. We adapt, we survive. The Endeavour, a relic from a bygone era, stands as their only link to a past that is now part of history. As they prepare to reactivate the ship and face the unknown future, they do so with a newfound perspective, shaped by their extraordinary journey and the time-altering effects of the alien prison. They embark on a new mission, not just to return home, but to discover what home has become after the lapse of centuries, venturing into a future that is as alien to them as the prison they just escaped.